This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I am the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with the fellow seeker of biblical truth. Today, we will be speaking with Bishop Robert Stearns about Numbers 14. Bishop Stearns is the founder and leader of Eagle's Wings, a parachurch ministry that focuses on creating and strengthening the bonds between Christian leaders and the state of Israel physically, spiritually, and holistically. Eagle's Wings, among other things, identifies the most promising, usually young evangelical leaders, as measured by church membership, social media following, and music followership, and brings them on a 12-day trip to Israel. This trip begins a relationship, as Eagle's Wings nurtures the bonds that the Christian leaders make on these trips with each other, with Israeli Jews, and with the state of Israel, and Eagle's Wings helps to enable the love of Israel that develops on these trips to be sustained and amplified in the years to come. I have accompanied these Christian leaders on two of their trips and have made lifelong friendships around their love of Jewish teachings, the Jewish state, the Jewish people, and the state of Israel. In fact, the theme song of this podcast is Breakthrough by Eddie James. I met Eddie in Jerusalem on an Eagle's Wings trip when his rendition of Breakthrough had hundreds of Jews and Christians singing along with him in jubilation at the Eagle's Wings Day of Prayer for the Peace of Jerusalem, which is celebrated by several hundred thousand churches in 175 nations on the Sunday each year between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. In addition to his work at Eagle's Wings, Bishop Stearns leads a large church near Buffalo, the Full Gospel Tabernacle. Erica and I have visited the church where I spoke about Torah and Erica delivered the priestly blessing. And suffice it to say that we two Jews and our four kids received the warmest welcome conceivable on that day. Moreover, Robert is the author of five books and a magnificent singer who has performed the American and Israeli national anthems at APAC before Congress as a soloist at Carnegie Hall and at St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's my honor to have my friend, Bishop Robert Stearns, here with us today. Hey, Mark. Great to be here today, and I'm excited about this podcast. I asked Robert, as we're asking all guests, to select a passage from the Torah that is especially inspiring, instructive, or meaningful to him. And Robert chose Caleb, the first political Zionist. So, Robert, where does Caleb appear in the Torah? Well, I think, you know, we we, we learn the most about Caleb when we come to the story of the 12 spies. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. They've had their moment at Sinai. They've received the Torah, and, and, and Hashem begins to direct them into their destiny, which is to come into the land of Canaan. And as preparation for that, there is this episode where, where the 12 spies, Meraglim in Hebrew, are, are sent out into enemy territory, right? Like, go in, and spy out the land, assess what we call that in the business world, I think, you know, SWAT, a SWAT assessment, right? <laughs> Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. What is there? And so Caleb uh, is one of these 12 spies who's chosen for this important assignment. Yes, yeah, so and I think it's interesting that Moses told them to 
scout out specific things. He told them to scout out how's the land? Who are the people who dwell in it? Are they strong or weak? Are they few or numerous? And the spies came back and they did not follow those instructions, which were tactical instructions. And instead, they came back and said, we can't do it. They said, the people are too strong. We are like grasshoppers in their eyes. And in comes one person, Caleb, who says something very different. And Caleb says in Numbers 1430, we shall surely ascend and conquer it for we can surely do it. You know, but I think it's really interesting, Mark, what you're raising here, because Caleb's response, right, is a response to what the other 10 spies did incorrectly. You know, as you say, Moshe didn't ask for their opinion, can we do this or can't we? You know, he told them to go in and say, how can we accomplish this? And rather than coming back, the the 10 who brought back the negative report, they came with all of the reasons of why it was impossible. And I think it becomes kind of a metaphor sometimes from a leadership perspective, from a goal-setting perspective, you know, how you approach something can often determine its outcome. If you approach something with a mindset that it's it's pass or fail, it's, you know, yes or no, then you're more often than not going to err on the side of all the reasons why something cannot be done, which is why it's so important to look at the attitude that you're approaching things with. That's exactly right. And a, a beautiful lesson to draw from this Torah portion. And so that describes 10 of the 12 spies. Now, one of the two was Caleb, who says, we can ascend and conquer it. Now, one of the interesting things about Caleb is that Caleb was not a Jew. Caleb was a Gentile. Well, and this is something, Mark, you know, our our friendship had brought this to light with me. I've known this story my whole life. I've preached this story dozens of times over the past 25 years. But, it, you know, you are the one who kind of brought this point to light. And, you know, Mark, I think it's one of the fascinating things about Scripture. There's a verse in the Christian Bible that I love that I think is applicable here. It's from Hebrews chapter 4, and it says this. It says, the Word of God, or the, the Torah, it says, the Torah is living and active, which is just such a powerful concept for us. Beautifully put. Right? The Torah is not ink on a page. Nope. It's not just, a, you know, it's not a, a, an operations manual. It's living and active. And that's, you know, as people who are bored by the Bible don't understand the power of the Bible. The, the, the Bible is this living and active touchstone that speaks to every single situation in our lives. And so here you are, you know, I've I've been a student of the Bible my whole life, and you brought to my understanding uh, Caleb not as a Jew. We automatically lump him in with the Jewish people, but we forget that there was a minority of non-Jews who left Egypt with the children of Israel. The Erev Rav, the mixed multitudes. Why don't you explain that? Sure, yes. These were the Erev Rav, the mixed multitudes who chose to come with us from Egypt into the desert and on the journey. And the uh, biblical proof that Caleb was a Gentile is that Caleb is identified eight times as Caleb, the son of Jepuna, And several of those times, it's Caleb, the son of Jepuna, the Kenizzite. And the Kenizzites, we know from early Genesis, was a pre-Abrahamic and thus Gentile people. Now, biblical characters are very rarely, if ever, identified 
with the son of. We don't hear of Moses, the son of Amron, or Isaac, the son of Abraham, almost every time they're introduced. But there was something so important about Caleb's provenance that we're told eight times in Numbers and Deuteronomy that he was the son of Japuna. We're told four times in Joshua, and we're told three times in Chronicles. And one of those times in Chronicles, it identifies Caleb as the son of Yitro. So, and Yitro, we know, was Moses' Gentile father-in-law. So Caleb was certainly a Gentile. And Robert, what do you think it's trying to teach us? Because everything in the Bible is trying to teach us something about how we can live our lives better and more meaningfully today. What does it teach us that Caleb, who makes the first statement of political Zionism, we can conquer the land, the first statement of political Zionism, what do we learn from the fact that Caleb is a Gentile? So I think it's fascinating because at least in my seminary training, there was a a, a hermeneutic principle, a, a scriptural interpretation principle that you use, which is called the law of first mention. So when you want to interpret and understand something in scripture, you look and see when did this concept first appear? Because that kind of becomes the lens that it's developed through. So if we look at that and we apply that to this, what do we see? We see the universalism, the universality of Judaism, even here in this earliest portion where the the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, right? But non-Jews decide to link and come with them. I mean, this is fascinating. You you know, why why would non-Jews link themselves to the Jewish people? There was something that they saw inherent within the Jewish community, within the Jewish revelation, that made them say, we want to cast our lot with these people. And Mark, it becomes kind of the first step toward this unfolding that we see throughout the scripture and then throughout history, where the universality of Judaism is affirmed. Judaism is a a specific message contained within a specific people, the Jewish people, but its principles are for all humanity, to be an or hagoyim, a light to all the nations. So, Robert, you've lived much of your life in Caleb's inspiration as someone who is one of the great spokesmen for Zionism and one of the great leaders of Zionism, and as a devout evangelical Christian. Can you discuss your work and how you've derived that work basically in the same vein that Caleb did? Well, thank you for that, and that's my privilege and my honor, and it's been an incredible journey. And and I, I really do see parallels. You know, Mark, you and I have had conversations about how interesting it is throughout history to find these Jewish-Christian friendships, or better put, Jewish-Gentile friendships that, that Hashem, that God seems to use to touch and shape history with. And we see this both in biblical text, we see it in ancient you know, history, and we see it in modern times. And so, you know, my mind immediately goes to a scripture from Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, um, that says that there is a time coming where 10 Gentiles, 10 goyim, 10 from the nations, will come up to one Jew, and they'll say, let us go with you, because we have heard that your God is with you. And if we want to reach back, listen, what's the seminal moment of Judaism? It's Abram in Ur of the Chaldees living in the midst of polytheism, and he hears a voice. 
And that voice says to him, right, Lethacha, Abraham, get up and go to the land that I will show you. So Abram, in the in ethical monotheism, has never been considered before in human history. And all of a sudden, Abram, by this divine inspiration, by this divine voice, begins to bring history into alignment with ethical monotheism. So that is the great gift, or one of the great gifts, of the Jewish people to the world is this understanding of an ordered universe under the care and auspices of a benevolent, good creator God. And I think one of the gifts of this Jewish-Christian friendship, which is, I think, of world historical importance, and it's really started to blossom in the last 20 years, is how Christians like yourself have helped make Jews more fulfilled and better Jews. And you've done that in so many ways, particularly by highlighting the beauty and the importance and the goodness of the state of Israel. Now, the fundamental or seminal expression of a Jew, something that we say every day, seemingly all day, is Baruch Hashem, blessed be he. Whenever we say something in the future, um, I'll be in Israel next week, Baruch Hashem, because we don't think anything, anything in the future for granted. So we say, with God's blessing, I'll be in Israel. Now, there were six times in the Torah when the term Baruch Hashem was mentioned. Each time it was mentioned by a Gentile. Wow. This is a it's Noah. Amazing. And this is the seminal expression of a Jew was Noah, Malkitzedek, Abimelech, Eliezer, Laban, and Jethro. All Gentiles all said Baruch Hashem, and no Jew ever said it. And again, I think everything in the Bible is supposed to teach us something about how we can live our lives better, more meaningfully today. And this shows us what a Jewish-Gentile friendship can be and how it can make us all richer, deeper, more appreciative, more grateful in our own faiths, is that we learned from our Gentile brethren in the Bible how to express our relationship with God. Well, I think that there's so much learning and depth that these conversations, these are sacred conversations that are happening. And, you know, yes, they have political ramifications, right, for the state of Israel. They have outcomes that are humanitarian, that are political, that are, you know, cultural. But at the heart, this is about what kind of world do we want to leave our children? What kind of world do we want to leave our grandchildren? And it becomes, and there's an expression in Hebrew, you'll fill it in, but it becomes like a hallowing of God's name. This becomes a sacred conversation that we're engaged in. And it is it is extraordinary. And again, Caleb becomes this introductory figure. He becomes this archetype. You know, Caleb is the archetype of the, the Gentile who links himself to the spiritual journey. And I think that's really important mm-hmm. to emphasize that point, that it's a journey, right? And that's 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 part of the difference, I think. Also, like that's something that's added to my faith because within Christianity in general, and I would say most specifically within evangelical Christianity, which is where I grew up, our Christianity is thought of much more in terms of destination, right? It's thought of like, did you become a Christian? Because normally in evangelicalism, there's a conversion moment. And then it's about like, one day I'll go to heaven. And so it's these kind of like, I don't know, all or nothing moments. But what I learned in Judaism and what I learned in the the beautiful life cycle of Judaism, and, you know, at the time of this recording, we've just come out of Pesach and we're getting ready for Shavuot, is that it's this constant ongoing journey. You know, you're 
It, Psalm 84, the Tehillim, it says, blessed are those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. What's that referring to? Well, it's the three It's the three great pilgrim feasts. Right. Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot. And so Caleb becomes this archetype. He says, I'm going to link myself to the Jewish people. I'm going to link myself in their journey. And he becomes one of the spies. And as a Gentile stands there and speaks the word of faith to the Jewish people. He, he reminds the Jewish people who they are and who their God is. You are well able to do this because Hashem is with you. And I think that's part of what I hope to do within our work is to say to the state of Israel, to say to the Jewish people in the midst of voices of accusation, in the midst of voices of global political condemnation and even, even conflict, Israel, you are well able to do this. You are well able to have a thriving, blessed society in your ancient borders because God has ordained this. And we've seen this holy moment come to pass in our lifetimes. Absolutely. And and you spoke before and you used the phrase, a sacred conversation that the Jews and the Gentiles are having for our mutual benefit in service of our relationship with God. And I think we see that exactly in in this sequence in numbers as well. So after Caleb says the first statement of political Zionism in history, we shall ascend and conquer it. There's uh, more opposition by the 10 spies. And then it says, Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, again, the son of Japuna, speak in unison. And people often sing in unison in the Bible and today, but people don't speak in unison. They sing in unison. They don't speak in unison, except in this case, they spoke in unison, which is probably the definition of what a sacred conversation is, or one of the definitions of what a sacred conversation can be, is they speak in unison, and what do they say? They say, the land that we pass through to spy it out, the land is very, very good. If Hashem desires us, He will bring us to the land and give it to us, a land that flows with, and this is that great phrase, milk and honey. But do not rebel against Hashem. You should not fear the people of the Lord, for they are our bread, which I believe is the first example in human history of trash talking. <laughs> There you go. Everything's in the Bible, even trash talking. <laughs> Their protection has departed from them. Hashem is with us. Do not fear them. Robert, when you reflect on Caleb and then Caleb and Joshua, what are kind of your parting thoughts or the residual wisdom that stays with you from this magnificent sequence? There's so much to mine and to take out of the story. But, you know, in verse six of chapter 14, you know, Joshua and Caleb are speaking but it says that they they tore their clothes in other words they were emo they were profoundly emotionally invested mm. in this moment they weren't just kind of bringing a difference of opinion they understood the scope of what was at stake because what was at stake was not just the acquisition of real estate what was at stake was the the children of israel's belief and response to the word of god and so they didn't see the rejection of taking this land simply as a military decision or simply as, you know, human wisdom. They said, no, you're, we're going to come into violation of our covenant with God if we doubt, you know, because God wants us to have faith. And, and then it looks down at verse 10 and it says, so all the congregation are then about to stone them. Hmm. So they're putting their lives on the line, right? That's right. They, they they're, they're, Everything comes on the line for them to stand with this plan of God. 
And then God himself, you know, steps in and begins to defend them. It says the Lord shows up and, and says, how long are these people going to reject me? So there's so much to take out of this. But I think in a core way, Mark, we're living in a moment that has great continuity all the way back to Caleb and Joshua of Jewish and Gentile cooperation around ethical monotheism, which is evidenced in the manifestation of the Jewish people in Eretz Israel, which has now reappeared for the first time in two millennia. And we are alive in this blessed moment, and we need to keep this conversation going because it is a blessing to all mankind when the value system of ethical monotheism is propagated in the nations of the earth. As we learn from the Gentiles, there's only two words to say to that, which is Baruch Hashem. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for a wonderful conversation about Caleb and Caleb and Joshua. And now let's just switch to a question I have for you. Um, how many years have you been a pastor, both of a church and of a parachurch ministry? 30 years in, in full-time ministry. 30 years of full-time ministry. Yeah. So there's this very interesting passage on the first page of Andre Malroux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir, where he tells the story of running into uh, a man with whom he served in World War II. That man had become a parish priest. The man had saved a lot of Jews, it says in the book, and then had, had become a priest. And Andre Maru says to him, in all your years of hearing confessions, what are the two things that you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, the two things I've learned about mankind are that everyone is much less happy than they seem, and there is no such thing as a grown-up. Mm. So Robert, let me ask you, in 30 years of being a pastor, what are the two things that you've learned about mankind? Well, it's a powerful question. It's a difficult question. You go a lot of different directions, but there's there's two responses that come to my mind. I'll try to answer two points, but I might have to say both of them in a negative and in a positive way. So the, the first is that I think people struggle with an existential sense of loneliness. I, I really think that that there's a deep loneliness within most, if not all people. And that to say it in a positive way, I think that God has hardwired the human race for places of relationship. I think relationship, meaningful relationships is the stuff of life. Material wealth, all these other things, it's nice. But when you really have meaningful relationships, I think it's it's vital. So I don't know if that's a positive or a negative, but that'd be my first one. That, that's, that's beautiful. And I would say that, you know, there are only two times in the Bible where God says something is low tove, not good. One is to Adam when he says, it is not good for man to be alone. The other time is when Jethro says to Moses, it is not good to lead alone. See, there you go. Aloneness is the one thing that said it's not good. There you go. And so my second one, and again, I'll try to say this in a negative and a positive way. The second one would be similar, which is I think part of what keeps us in loneliness is this, this you know, this pervasive, always appearing kind of sin of pride. I think that when we have pride, because an unwillingness to be vulnerable, an unwillingness to show weakness, an unwillingness to invest in other people, really the root of that is, you know, I'm better than everyone else or or the, the converse, you know, everyone's going to reject me. So the positive spin on it is I think if we can teach people to empathize with the other, you know, there was this amazing book years ago that for me, I mean, 
I just think it's one of the greatest, you know, practical books of life. It was The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen Covey. And one of his habits was seek first to understand and then to be understood. So just that importance of how do I understand the other? You know, how do I really put myself in that place of, you know, maybe I don't know it all. Maybe I don't have it all figured out. How can I? And especially, Mark, you know, my goodness, America right now, the pain of the polarization that is going on in our country. How do we really start to build bridges of communication and empathy and and civil discourse we can't do that if we're going to keep pride as our modus operandi. So just, you know, less pride and more empathy and care is, I think, a recipe for a meaningful life. Thank you for a great session and for being a great friend, both to me and Erica and to the Jewish people. An honor to be with you. And I'm excited about this podcast and uh, glad to learn together with you. you are the-